notes. I meant to say this at the beginning of the service, and I should give you an update um, about Pastor Pierpont. If you've been on social media or following what's going on, you probably know that he and his wife uh, were in Oregon for a little while um, visiting uh, with their daughter Holly and their new grandson, Aiden Redemption. So you might have seen pictures. He's a cute little guy. And uh, he, Pastor Pierpont was planning to be back with us this morning and had some complications. Uh, Holly had some complications. So he asked that, that you just remember to keep the family in, in prayer. And it seems like everything is, is better now and, and fine, but uh, it was just really helpful to them for Pastor Pierpont and Lois to stay um, and, and help with, with Aiden especially and with the family. So they send their, their greetings and wish they could be here with you. I just um, want to take an opportunity to, to speak with you, and I'm a happy privilege to do it, and something that God laid on my heart. And we're, we're kind of going to keep under the longing series that, that we've been going through, and uh, this series has, been, has come out of a, a heart uh, to encourage us as Christians in our walk with God, uh, with the struggles that we have and, and sometimes the longings that we have that tend to, uh, if we're not careful, draw us away from God. But as we've been looking through these longings uh, and, and realizing that, that some longings can, can actually push us toward God if we, if we look at them properly. And so the longing that I have on my heart this morning to share with you is what I'm calling a longing for purpose. And and it could maybe show up in, in different ways, or maybe you talk about it in a different way. Some people might call it a longing for meaning or for significance in life. And I'm just going to call it a longing for purpose. And I think it's something that if we, if we all uh, think about, we would, we would admit that we have that in our life, right? We look to uh, a lot of things to, to try to, to fulfill um, a purpose, a sense of purpose in life. Maybe this week or these past few days you've been watching the Olympics a little bit, right? There's other things going on too, but the Olympics are sort of special, I think, to a lot of people to, to just watch. We, we like to see our, our um, country win, <laughs> right? And we also enjoy seeing other countries compete in what they're, they're good at and just, uh, just to, to watch that level of competition. But why, why do you think we enjoy the Olympics so much? Or why do we enjoy watching sporting events. Uh, why, why do, maybe on the other side, uh, why do athletes exert so much energy and sacrifice so much time for something that's so fleeting? I mean, you think about, if you saw the 50-meter um, in swimming, the, what is it called, 50-meter freestyle, I think. Did anyone see that? Okay, a little bit, yeah. And uh, just how fast that, that goes by. It's, it's, it's incredibly quick. They say that if your response time off the block is just a tiny bit off, there's no way that you can, you can catch up and win. Um, all, so much training and so much dedication to that just one little event. Uh, why? Why do we do that? And I, I think that part of the answer to that is that there's an, a universal experience of this longing for purpose. We, we reach out for something higher, uh, something that, that we feel will give significance to our, our life. There's a... a, a uh, movie that I've watched a while back that is a, uh, a movie about us. It's actually sci-fi, so if you don't like sci-fi, I'm sorry. Uh, I enjoy sci-fi, and it's, it's called Interstellar. I don't know if you... I'm not endorsing the movie, but uh, I enjoy it. And um, there's a quote that made me think when I heard it. It's, it's kind of poignant. The, 
uh, Matthew McConaughey is the actor, and he's, you know, if you've seen the Lexus commercials, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, it's Lexus, right? Lincoln. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know cars. That's not me. That's bad, right? Because I'm in Detroit. Um, anyways, if you, so you know who I'm talking about now. He's, there's a scene in this movie, Interstellar, where he's sitting on the front porch in his, his farm, and he's talking to his, his father. I believe it's his father-in-law. And he says this. It's very interesting. He says, We used to look up at the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. And I can't say it like he said it. He said it. But. And then he says, We've forgotten who we are. Does that, does that kind of maybe uh, tug at you a little bit when you hear that? Does that sentiment sort of, sort of ring true as you hear that? I, I think it, it does. Um, when I was reading a, a book by A.W. A. Tozer, and he wrote, and well, he spoke a lot on worship, and he calls this, this sensation of, of, reading, uh, of reaching out for something higher um, and, and not being able to find it specifically. He calls that spiritual amnesia, and that, that God has created us for something higher, but without an understanding of the Bible, without uh, Christ, we don't know what that is. We reach out and we can't find it. And, and people, and man, they, we try to, to satisfy it in a variety of activities. Maybe it's in career, in a career, right? We, we from a very early age, want to decide what we're good at and what we're going to spend our time uh, doing with our life. And sometimes that disappoints uh, in maybe large ways, maybe smaller ways, but, but ultimately that doesn't satisfy. Or maybe we try to satisfy that longing in education, uh, getting as much education as possible. Um, and we feel like the more we know, the, the more of a sense of purpose we'll have, or the more we'll be able to figure out life. Maybe in pleasure, maybe we, we just try to live for the weekend or, or whatever it is, um, the, the, thinking that pleasure will give us a sense of, of purpose. And maybe even human relationships and uh, and ultimately, you know, if any of you, have, and we've all been in human relationships, that they don't ultimately satisfy. So, so those are, are things that, that we reach out for and yet come up short in and of themselves. They don't satisfy our longing for purpose. A, a, a famous rich man who experienced the greatest of, of a lot of these things that we just mentioned, uh, I'm going to paraphrase his words for you. Listen as you hear his reaction near the end of his life to experiencing these things and trying to satisfy a sense of purpose out of them. He says, and this is paraphrase, smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, then does it again and again, the same old round. The wind blows south, the wind blows north. Around and around and around it blows, blowing this way than that, the whirling erratic wind. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place and then start all over and do it again. Everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. All right. See you later. No, I'm just kidding. 
It's a little depressing to think about that. But it's kind of what maybe a younger generation would call real talk, right? It's like, hey, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. I'm just going to give it to you how I've experienced it. And this is, you may have recognized the thoughts as coming from a man we know as King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is just a paraphrase of the things that he said uh, in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. But what he realized, and, and if you read the whole book, you'll see that there's a purpose to his, his words. We're not going to study that book. We're going to go to a different book and talk about a different man who experienced a sense of purpose once he had a very important thing happened to him. So if you want to open to Philippians 3, Philippians chapter 3, and as we just consider this longing that, that we, we have, and I, I think you would agree that you have for purpose in life, see how, how that was fulfilled in this man's life in an incredible way and how that can inform our lives now as we as we look into that. So all our pursuits in and of themselves, in and of themselves, they seem to come up short. Why is that? And I just want to suggest to you it's because these pursuits we talked about, you know, the earthly things, the, the career and all, and the, even, even, even uh, relationships, personal relationships in and of themselves, they're all passing away. They all come up short because they're limited in their reach. God made us for a more permanent or a higher purpose to our lives. So Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 10. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version translation. If you want to follow along, Philippians 3, 4 through 10. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. It says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks... He has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray as we look into the word this morning. God, I pray that you would just direct our thoughts. God, I thank you that you made us as creatures that need to be satisfied with a higher purpose, God. And I thank you that you so clearly outline it in your word for us. I pray that you'd help us to learn from just the, the life of the Apostle Paul this morning and be challenged to, to find our purpose in you and in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. So first of all, we have to get a little context into Paul's life before we talk about what changed him and, and how he was driven and what kind of purpose he had later. Uh, he kind of gives that for us. He's, he's actually, in Philippians, he's taking on leaders that are trying to 
bring the church back into a system of, of um, law and, and sanctification by law that the religious leaders during that time were trying to impose. And, and Paul is fighting against this and saying, no, that's, that's not how the church works. We're, we're under grace. We're under the grace of God. And we won't get into that uh, in depth right now. But he, he uses himself as an example. He says, if you, you think you can boast in your own accomplishments, just look at me. And uh, he, he takes a moment just to show the way that his life was driven before knowing Christ. So if, there's two main points, basically, in, in this passage that I want to talk about. So if you're taking notes, the first one is Paul's driven life before knowing Christ. Paul's driven life before knowing Christ. And the second one, just before we get to it, I'll let you know if you're writing them down. Second one is Paul's driven life after Christ. Okay? So it's easy. Paul's driven life before knowing Christ and Paul's driven life after knowing Christ. So first we're going to look at his life before knowing Christ. What were some things that he said about himself? Well, first of all, he said that he was circumcised on the eighth day and then in six, the second part of, of verse 6, he says that he was under the law, according to the righteousness under the law, he was blameless. You can take this to mean that in, in the current system that he was in, the, the law, he was ritualistically perfect. He had, he had done everything, at least in his mind, that the law required to be righteous under the law. He was a, a Pharisee, and he says that in there as well. Hebrew of, Hebrews, according to the law, a Pharisee. And these were religious leaders that prided themselves on knowing all the law and even memorizing the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew them so well, and yet, if you read the book of Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus constantly took on the Pharisees for their self-righteous living. Well, Paul said that he was a Pharisee, and elsewhere he says that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was um, a, an example even to the Pharisees. So he was ritualistically perfect. He's privileged by birth in, in verse 5. He says, uh, he says in verse 5, of the people of Israel, okay, so that was the privileged people of God in the Old Testament, and then he says of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So he was privileged by birth. That wasn't necessarily something that he did, but, but that was his, his privilege. And then the third thing, legally an expert. You see that he calls himself a Pharisee, and these were, again, experts of the law, not only and, and not only like religious leaders, but even in the legal system, because the, the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament were a theocracy, and so those two things sort of ran together. So he was legally an expert. And then finally, in the beginning of verse 6, he was zealous for what he believed in. He was zealous to a fault. Verse 6a says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So I would call that driven. I mean, he, he exerted so much time and effort into uh, being a Pharisee, for one. And then, once the church arose and there was Roman persecution and the Romans were starting to say, hey, the church is basically an offshoot of, of the Israelites and their religion, well, the Israelites reacted to that. They didn't want to get persecuted by the Romans. So, so then he became really zealous and he said, we're going to go after the church and destroy them. He, was, he persecuted believers um, he oversaw the stoning of Stephen, if you remember that, and that makes me mad because it's my namesake. Um, 
No, but you know that story. He was most likely leading in that. Uh, he, was, he was driven. So what happened to change, to turn around his life um, and give him uh, a sense ultimate of, of the ultimate purpose that, that God has for us and that he had for him? We're going to go to Acts 8 and get a little look at that. Acts 8 and 9 really quickly to read the account of what happened to Paul. Of course, his, first, his name originally, his uh, Hebrew name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he changed his name after coming to know Christ. It was most likely an um, attempt, as, as he ministered more to the Gentiles, an attempt to use a Gentile name, a Greek name, when he changed his name from Saul to Paul. So if there's any confusion there, it's the same guy, Saul of Tarsus, and then Paul the missionary, or Paul the evangelist, or the apostle Paul, same guy. All right, so Acts 8, we have in verse 1, we're going to read just a, a little account of, of how zealous Saul of Tarsus really was about going after the church. Uh, it starts in saying, and Saul approved of his execution. Well, if you go back to Acts 7, you see that, that that's the stoning of Stephen, and Paul was in that. He was either actively in it or just kind of watching and approving of it. And we go on into verse 1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now that's zeal, right? He's not just waiting for a... Uh, for a meeting, he's going house to house. You know, now, now there were house meetings, so he probably uh, was trying to, to find those as well. But, but think about the zeal of, of going after individual Christians and, and, and dragging them off to prison. Now, interesting side note, and this isn't really the purpose of what we're talking about now, but if you read Acts, you see that this persecution actually was one of the uh, things that really caused the church to grow and to spread out into multiple regions in the world. And you may have heard that, that uh, saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Well, God used even Paul's actions in this case to spread the church out, to get them out of their comfort zone, and to cause the gospel to go out. And that's something to think about uh, in our own lives, that, that God uses suffering, he uses those things um, to promote the gospel, and, and we should be willing to suffer. And this is going to come, come up again as we continue to look into the life of Paul. But you see what, what Paul is doing before this pivotal moment in his life. Now we're going to go on and see what that is. Acts 9 now, chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 9. We've taken a little break and talked about Philip and, and his ministry and Ethiopia, or to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then it's going back to Saul. What we just read, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he's in Jerusalem, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and that's what the Christian, what they called the Christian cult was called at that time, the, the people that followed Jesus, they were called the way. If he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And if we go on, we'd see that the Lord called Ananias, who restored his sight to him. And we also know if, we, if you look in Galatians, that Paul says that after this time he spent uh, quite a bit of time in Arabia uh, learning from the Lord before he actually spoke with disciples. And so there was a, a long amount of time where Paul was, was being molded by Christ into what he had for him. And then you see in, in verse 20 of Acts 9, what does Paul do after this? It says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. That's, that's immediately after he returned to Damascus. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them all bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What a dramatic change in the life of Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul the Apostle. And it came as a result of this conversion to Christ, this revelation of Christ of himself to Paul. And, and so now we're going to take a look back in Philippians 3, uh, how his life changed. And he doesn't go into the details, that's why we wanted to pick that up in the narrative of Acts. Now we're going back to Philippians 3, and you see that little word in verse 7, little word, but. Okay, this is where things change for Paul. He, he was driven, he had all these things that he grasps onto, being a Pharisee, having the righteousness of, of the law. And then in verse 4 he says, I'm sorry, in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So, a reversal in values. So there's, there's four things we're going to talk about here in Paul's driven life after knowing Christ. The first one is a simple reversal in values. And it, it's, I say simple, but it's actually... Uh, kind of crazy to think about. Everything he says, the things that he counted as gain, he counted, he, he began to count as loss for Christ. All of a sudden, being a Pharisee didn't mean so much anymore. Having his own righteousness under the law, when he, he came to know that, that Christ is his righteousness, that, didn't, that was loss at that point to him. Um, he had a, a reverse set of values. Think about this. You know, you may love French fries. How many people love French fries? <laughs> okay, you can admit it. You might not want to admit you, you like McDonald's fries, but you know all of us kind of do a little bit. Not everyone. But we, we may have that value, but if we value maybe in a higher way our health, <laughs> then, then the gain of the French fries might become loss, right? If you think about it that way, it might become loss for our health. Um, I, was, I was reading the Olympics, some of the stories from the Olympic competitors, and there were certain things that they had to choose to, to lose in order to, to go to the Olympics. There was one guy that actually sold his house so he could be able to probably spend the time and, and 
and the money it took to, to travel and all that thing to, com- to compete in the Olympics. There's um, things that when you have a higher value, you give up. And um, I, I was thinking, Katie's going to have to uh, forgive me for using her as an illustration, but you probably know we're, we're uh, expecting a, a baby, and uh, we're excited about that. The Lord's um, just been so good to us, and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot in that I, I, that I have to sacrifice, but not nearly as much as what Katie has to sacrifice. And I was just thinking, looking in the, in the refrigerator yesterday and wanting to get something to drink, and I grabbed this um, cranberry juice, right? And you see cranberry juice and you think, well, what could it hurt? It should, be, it should be really good. I like cranberry juice. I poured it out, and it was the most disgusting cranberry juice I'd ever had in my life. And the reason is... Sorry, Cheryl. <laughs> the reason is because it's, there's absolutely no sweetener. It's just pure, 100% cranberry juice. And I, I looked at Katie, I was like, you like this? And she's like, well, I like what it does for me. So that was instructive to me because I would never be caught dead drinking that cranberry juice, although I tried a little bit, and I, you know, I should probably drink more. Um, but because she has a higher value of our child, then she has reversed some of her values and said, you know what, it's not that important that I have sweet cranberry juice. I can just have cranberry juice because it's better for me. And, and in the same way, when we know and when we encounter a higher purpose, when God enlightens our eyes, then some of our values are going to get reversed. And that's what happened to Paul. The things that he had as gain, he counted as loss. The second thing we see in Paul's driven life, what changed in him after knowing Christ. He had a laser-focused aim to his life. And this is in verse 8. And the, the aim was simply to gain Christ. In verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's not just a simple reversal of values. It's like everything that takes away from knowing Christ, from, from gaining Christ, is rubbish. It's, it's lost to me. It's, this is the language of, of um, ultimate value. It's, it's the language of, of love that Paul had for, for Christ. All other pursuits that he was involved in in the past hindered this new goal of knowing and experiencing Christ. So, so I guess my you know, our application for us as we look at this, as we look at this reversal of values, as we look at this laser-focused aim that, that Paul had as a result of knowing Christ, is do we have Christ as our ultimate value? And, and what does that mean? You know, does, it, does it come into our decision-making? Does it come into how we set our priorities for the day or for the week? Does it come into our relationships, the way that we, we treat others, the way that we interact with other people, the way that we view others around us? When certain things would come up that would distract us from our aim of Christ, do we, do we actually count them as lost? Do we actually reject them and turn away from them so that Christ can be our aim? And that's just that's something to think about. Um, if, you, if you have this longing for purpose, I would suggest to you uh, that, that Christ can satisfy that and that, that the way you'll find that is to have that laser-focused aim of wanting to know Christ wanting to experience him. He can give us the ultimate, ultimate purpose we long for when we allow him to be central and nothing to distract from him. All right, now the third thing we see here in Paul's change, in his changed life, is not only a reversal of values, not only a, 
uh, laser-focused aim, if you think about it that way, um, but also a humble dependency on Christ. This is verse 9. It says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now this would be unheard of in the life of a Pharisee, of saying uh, even just this idea of humility and humble dependence on someone else's righteousness. I mean, that, that was, they pride themselves in, in having all the answers and in living to the T and, and dotting the I and every, every aspect of the law. And yet he, you see this humble, this humble idea of dependency. It's, it's not being found with my own righteousness, but actually to be found in him, to be found in Christ. This idea of in Christ, if you study it out, it happens so much in the New Testament. Even just look at, at Ephesians chapter 1 and how many times Paul talks about all the blessings that we have in Christ. It's an important place to be. And that's where we find our blessings when we know and trust Christ. Our, our truest life and our, our blessings are found in him. And so, and so this was his humble dependency. It was part of his living with the highest person. Uh, purpose in mind. No one's righteousness, not even a Pharisee's, is good enough. We all fail, and we all know that, right? And when we try to live in our own power, we experience our failures even more strongly. So, so the, the application of this, I would just suggest to you and, and ask you this Do we ultimately trust Christ with our lives? Do we trust Him with the direction our life is taking? How does that trust show up in the way that we live our lives out? Uh, does it make us bold in our witness? You know, if we're found in Christ, if our value is in Christ, or our purpose is in Christ, shouldn't that make us just be bold in our witness? That's challenging to me because so often we let, and, and I let my voice be, be drowned out by the, the, the other values that are around us or, or the other purposes that people allow into their lives. And, and if our ultimate purpose is in Christ and we have that, that aim of him in mind, wouldn't it make us bold in our witness? Uh, does it make us victorious in our fight against personal sin? We should pray for that. So, so if you're struggling with a sense of purpose this morning, or if you have or you've thought about how can I have ultimate purpose in my life, seek humble dependency on Christ. He can give us that ultimate purpose when we explicitly and humbly trust him with every detail of our lives, committing them to him, just like this Paul's testimony here in Philippians 3. And then finally, in verse 10, the last aspect of this, of this driven life after Christ is a single pursuit, a single pursuit, and that is to know Christ. And he says this very simply, that I may know him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So, Paul, actually, in, in, his, in his desire that was so strong to know Christ, he actually desired to be part of the sufferings of Jesus and actually, ultimately, the death of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for the gospel, right? To give us life, he went to the cross. He paid the ultimate price. Paul was saying, I want to be like Jesus in that. I want to live out the gospel to the point where I will give my life. And Paul, if you, if you read through uh, the book of Acts that we read a little bit, and then also even just the writings of Paul, you see that he experienced those sufferings. And ultimately, he did suffer uh, death, 
because of his witness. And we believe that that happened in the second Roman imprisonment. He went to Rome once and then he was released. And then when he went there again, uh, he most likely was um, martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of his testimony of Christ. Part of living with ultimate purpose that Christ intends for us um, involves suffering. And I skipped actually one. He, he talks about suffering. We're going to go back to the, the first one he talks about in his pursuit, and that is to experience the power of God, the resurrection power of God. So if you're following along in the verse, you probably noticed that we missed that one. This one's important. Okay, so we should not only be willing to suffer for Christ, but we should, um, in our pursuit of Christ, understand that the power of God, the same power that was at work in Christ, is available to us. And it's not just an academic knowing of the power. He says to know that I may know him and to know the power of his resurrection, essentially. The power of his resurrection. Paul said that, that we have that power available in us, that, that we don't just have to hear about it and know about it, but as we pursue Christ, that we can experience that in our lives. The, the hymn writer said it in a very poetic way. We've sung this before in the, in the hymn, Be Still My Soul. Uh, stanza 3 says, Be still my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. You see a testimony to God's power. Thy hope and thy confidence let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. You see that picture? A picture of, of the waves and the winds that were subject, subjected to Jesus when he calmed the winds and the waves uh, when the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. That, that is still very real power and it's available to us as we pursue Christ. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that should be our pursuit. And then his sufferings, as we talked about, to, be, uh, to share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul was eager to do that. And, and Paul actually applies this idea of sufferings to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn there if you want. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Encouraging believers to stand strong in their faith. And he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Be willing to suffer wrong. And, and now we know that many brothers and sisters around the globe right now are actively and very strongly living that out, being willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And, and the power of God in the gospel is being made evident in those places. And that's a wonderful thing to see. We should be willing, in whatever way God calls us to suffer, we should be willing to do that. Whether it's just even a rejection by by friends or by coworkers, And if you haven't experienced that, maybe it's because you're not being as, as strong in your witness. And I, I say that to myself just as much uh, as to all of us here. Is, uh, we really need to, to pray that God would, would put that fire in our hearts as he did in, in the Apostle Paul to be a bold witness. And that will bring a, a sort of suffering, you know? And and we should be ready to do that and, and even pursue it like Paul did in his life. And then finally, Paul says, being conformed 
to his death or being like him in his death to pay the final price for his witness for Christ. And Paul, as we, as we know, did pay that. But, but as Paul looked back on his life, was it like that, was it like that, that um, paragraph that you heard at the beginning of the message where it was all, all this vanity, all this you know, dust, it's, everything's boring? You know? Or was it, was it more like, I've fought the good fight? I've finished the race. You guys remember that? Paul, even though he suffered so much, he didn't enjoy the, the things that, that we often tend to grasp for in our lives, a, a privileged position, a great job, um, money. He didn't enjoy hardly any of those things. Uh, and yet he looked back on his life and he was able to see the purpose that God had for him. So do we have a single pursuit like Paul did? Are we experiencing God's power in our lives, are we willing to suffer for Christ? We'll just go on and, and in Philippians 3, read verses 12 through 14 and see how Paul sort of wraps up and shows how a purposeful life in Christ looks like. Verses three, or Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see the reason for that. Christ made me his, so I press on for this. In verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's purpose statement in a nutshell. And Lord willing, that can be each one of us who know and love Christ. That can be our purpose statement. Wherever God's called us, whatever, however menial a task that God's, that God's um, assigned to us, that that would be our pursuit to know Christ, to follow him, to be identified and found in him, to participate in what it means uh, to be like Christ. And I think if we were really serious about that, um, that our lives would be meaningful, that we'd find our longing for purpose fulfilled in Christ. So it's a, it's a, a challenge for you this morning. We're going to sing as we close. So the musicians can come up. And I just want to challenge you. Maybe you've forgotten today who you are in Christ. Or maybe you never knew and you need Christ to do a work in your life like he did in Saul of Tarsus. Christ calls you to depend on him, to pursue knowing him. Whatever walk of life you're in, that will give you the purpose that God created you to have.